listening to Wake Up and Read the Labels, your guide to eating simple and feeling good. If you want to eat clean and feel your best, guess what? You're in the right place. Each week, we talk about ingredients that may be holding you back from feeling your best. We also talk to some brands that are going against the grain and actually using real ingredients we can recognize. Plus, we're sharing stories with people who are just like you, who actually woke up and read the labels. Welcome to Wake Up and Read the Labels podcast. I'm Jen Smiley here. I'm going to be joined by Dr. Michael Gorian, who's trained as a biochemist and he's morphed into a pediatric nutrition research powerhouse. So if you were thinking that there's tons of sugars and sweeteners hidden in your kids' foods, well, you're right. And guess what? Dr. Michael Gorian is going to bust some myths about various types of sugars and sweeteners today. We're going to talk about what you should be looking in your products and your drinks and your snacks so that your kids can have cookies and they can celebrate with cakes, right? And they can have really good snacks, but these types of sweeteners aren't going to bring them down. Here we go. Let's dive on in. Here we are. So let's go ahead and just dive in. It'll just be super casual. If you have any questions you want to pose, feel free. But as you know, we wrote out some questions. So I'm curious to know, what got you into this sugar-proof topic in the research? Yeah, so I wrote the book uh, because we've been doing the research for a long time, 30 plus years. And we found a lot of really interesting things that I wanted everybody to know about because it takes so long for the research to get out to the public, if at all. And we do, you know, we do these studies, they could take years and years and years to get the funding and years and years and years to do the study. And then you have a paper and nobody reads it. So, uh, true story. So, I, you know, I think it's upon us to take it a step further because the research we're doing has so many applications to families and parents and people everywhere that I wanted to write the book to put it all together to make it more accessible Mm -hmm. and not just to talk about the science that's important, but that's the first part of the book, but then what to do about it. That's the second part of the book in terms of offering strategies and tips. Okay. So what happens in your life? I mean, you said you did what, 20 or 30 years of research on sugar. So what happened that actually a pivotal moment in your life that said, Hey, wait, I need to study sugar because people need to know about this. What what was that for you? It was a couple of things. We, we, we just kind of followed the yellow brick road of the data. So the, the data kind of led us there. And I think with sugar, it started with a couple of pivotal studies that we were looking at how diet, and not just diet for that matter, but all things in the environment mm-hmm. cause children to kind of go off on this path towards chronic diseases. Okay. And, diabetes, fatty liver disease, obesity, weight gain, not necessarily in childhood, but later in life. And so we're looking to try and understand what causes that long term. And so the path led to diet and then from diet very quickly to sugar. As we looked at the diets of children today, trying to understand what is it about the diets of children today that is causing so many problems, not just weight gain, but learning, emotional problems, long-term risk for these chronic diseases, time and time again, it was sugar that came out of those studies as the top, if not the only dietary factor 
that explained those risks. That's one thing. And then the second thing was really learning about how sugars have changed in our food supply. Yes. And that was a study that we did about 15 years ago where we had a very simple question. What is in Coca-Cola? What is in juice? Kids are consuming vast amounts of these things, but we don't actually know what is in it. The label is very unclear. It says high fructose corn syrup or, or some other unknown sugar. So we actually measured what was in Coca-Cola, what was in apple juice and juice drinks, and found that there was a lot more fructose in there than the labels led us to believe. Interesting. And that was one thing that kind of really ignited the flame. So you're in, you're posing that, hey, look, the label could say this, but potentially there's more to it than that? Well, let's say for soda, a label can say high fructose corn syrup. That's the main ingredient. But what actually is high fructose corn syrup? Right. There's multiple layers. Yeah, multiple layers. Yeah. And depending on, correct me if I'm wrong, but depending on how, say, the high fructose corn syrup is made or the ingredient you're presenting is made, all of them could have different processes. And some processes allow chemicals to leach into that ingredient as well. Exactly. And I know we're going to get into this later, but stevia is another good example. Yes, stevia, right? People think stevia, oh, it's a plant, but. You know, we're not dipping plants into our food. We're we're using a highly processed active ingredient from the stevia leaf. So it's really all about not just the ingredient, but where that ingredient came from, how it was processed, and really how it's affecting the body. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought that up. I remember when I started working with clients, I had a girl, she might have been in her mid-20s, and she had been constipated for like 10 years, could only go to the bathroom once every two weeks, was on all these medications, get colonoscopies, getting CAT scans, feeling like she was six months pregnant, bloating, I mean, all the things. And we removed, you know, all the preservatives, the gums, the fillers, the artificial sweeteners, the refined flours, all the things from her diet. And she felt so sugar, alcohol. Yes. She felt so much better. And she said, but listen, I'm still constipated and I don't know why. And I said, well, Mm. let's revisit exactly what you're doing again. Come to find out she was continuing to put stevia in her coffee every morning. I said, listen, I remember her name was Maddie. Mm. said, Maddie, let's try to remove the stevia and then let's see if that's, that's a game changer for you. And do you know within two days, complete bloating going away, going to the bathroom regularly, everything. And after that, I was like, you know what? Stevia is... And then I looked into Stevia and said, okay, Mm. now I get why Stevia could be a gut disruptor. So there's so many things, especially people that are eating keto out there, eating you know so much highly processed Stevia. But I'm curious to know that, okay, you started studying sugar because, you know, could this potentially be leading to chronic diseases? Do you believe that based off of your study, sugar is the biggest culprit of chronic diseases? Yeah. Or is it many factors? I mean, it's not the only factor. I'd be a fool to say it's the only factor. Right. But it's definitely a major factor Mm -hmm. that's kind of recurring in multiple studies. And it's a modifiable factor that we can change. So that's why I've kind of put all my eggs in that basket. 
because it's not the only factor, but it's a, it's a major factor and it's modifiable and it's recurring. Certainly. So I love that you say it's modifiable, meaning there are cleaner sweeteners out there, you guys, and there are cleaner sugars. And that's why I love to have you on here today, Dr. Gorin, is because here at Wake Up and Read the Labels, we're trying to really educate people on labels and let them know, hey, look, you don't have to restrict yourself from any food group. It's You got to find the cookies made with the right sweeteners and you got to be using the right flours and the right sweeteners when you're making your recipes at home. And that's how you're able to bring the foods back into your life, right? So now I'm curious, do you focus on sugar intake in kids, adults, or is it both? Well, really both. I mean, the research that we've done over the three decades is primarily almost all of it has been in childhood. So important. You know, that, and then that covers from the womb to adolescence. Mm-hmm. But clearly this issue is womb to tomb. So it, it affects. Um, parents and children and grandparents. We wrote the book primarily for focused on children because there's just so little information on that and very little kind of practical tools. If you look at all of the popular diet books, they're all kind of targeting adults, not parents, not families. We want it to be family-oriented kid oriented. Yeah. That's been the focus. Yeah. And food is social. I love that womb to tomb. But it is relevant across the lifespan from womb to tomb. Yes. So a lot of my clients and potential clients, followers, they come to me and say, hey, look, I'm pregnant. Is clean eating right for me? Right. Or do I really need to watch what I eat when I'm pregnant? How does a mother's food intake affect a baby in a womb? It does affect it in many ways. And I'm, you know, I have to be careful how I talk about this okay. because I've never been pregnant and I'm never going to be <laughs> pregnant. <laughs> yes. Let me just tell you the cravings, yeah. they're real. They're really real. Yeah, no, I lived through two of them indirectly with my wife, but um and lived through all of that. So I know that those are really strong cravings that kind of overwhelm and overtake all realms of right. normality sometimes and but- certainly live through that. But what you are eating mm-hmm. within that does affect, obviously, the developing child in the womb is living off of the food that it gets delivered that comes from what you're eating. And we've learned so much about developmental origins of, of disease. And we know that from long-term studies that have followed babies born where we know what the mother consumed that that consumption during pregnancy can have long-lasting effects mm-hmm. on the child into adulthood and impact their their future health. So, no, you know, we're not going to get it right every time. And people who are listening to this have probably gone through pregnancies and are saying, oh, my gosh, I did it all wrong. Right. But, you know, the science is changing. My mother smoked when I was pregnant, and she smoked whilst she breastfed me. So, yeah. Things change. The information changes. And it's really just all about trying to get more accurate knowledge and information out there so that we can share that and make the best choices based on our situation. Yeah. And our awareness. It's all about being aware. So tell me this now, when does a parent or a person become aware that they're consuming too much sugar? Is it when they're overweight? Is it when they're reading the labels? Is it when they discover your book? When is it? Yeah, it's a great question, Jen. I, I don't really know the answer. It could be all of the above, uh-huh. really. So it's for us, in some of the studies we've done, 
the awareness becomes very sudden because we've done studies, for example, in kids who have fatty liver disease or who have type 2 diabetes, and they don't even know it. The parents wouldn't know it. The kids wouldn't know it until they volunteer for our study. They get a referral from their pediatrician because their liver enzymes are high or their their weight won't come down. Yeah. Typically, it's weight-related. I mean, that's the most obvious external indication is weight. So that's when typically people come to us. But that's, unfortunately, many of these issues go well beyond weight. I mean, you you mentioned one of your clients, the first person you'll meet in sugar-proof is Melissa. We use all confidential names, but Melissa had very similar situation to the person that you described perfectly healthy kid looks great very active kid did doing well in school but she had a lot of stomach issues as well stomach cramps sleeping issues saggy eye you know dark lines under her eyes and so on and we also traced it back to this case to sugar alcohols not to stevia mm-hmm. so stomach issues is another one poor skin is another one ADHD, just kids who are appearing out of control or falling asleep in school and parents not knowing why they can't concentrate or stay awake. So it really can cross the whole spectrum. And that's the thing with sugar. It really can affect the body from head to toe. I'm trying to get the message out there that it's not just about what your kid weighs. Right. It's way more than just their weight. Yeah, it's a total, it's a great area. It could be many things. So what do you think the top five foods out there that kids are consuming that have the highest amount of sugars? I know you mentioned Coke and I know you mentioned juice, which we see at every birthday party, right? But what are some others? Well, well, yeah, on the liquid sugars, we've got also um, energy drinks. Mm -hmm. But aside from the liquid sugar, which is the biggest contributor, you know, we also have all the hidden sugars like pasta sauce, peanut butters, ketchups, bread, some of the kind of healthier sounding foods like yogurts or energy bars, just snacks. I mean, 80% of snack items that were developed for kids have added sugar as the first ingredient or second ingredient. So a lot of these types of kind of ready-made, highly processed food, kind of grab-and-go foods mm-hmm. can be high in sugar as well as, like I mentioned, pasta sauce typically, peanut butter, another kind of popular kid's item, but many of which there are healthier alternatives, yes. which I know you're focused on, yep. and that can make a big difference because those are sugars that parents didn't even know that they were consuming or that their kids were consuming. Yeah. Tell me this. What exactly is dextrose? Dextrose is just another word for glucose. So regular table sugar, the stuff that you buy in bags, Mm -hmm. white sugar, crystalline sugar, it's sucrose. And sucrose is a disaccharide because there's two smaller sugars joined together. Glucose, which is the sugar found in our blood. Yep the main source of energy, and fructose, which I'm sure we're going to get to later, the fructose being the predominant sugar found in fruit. Mm -hmm. Well, when glucose and fructose get together, that's sucrose. But when you just have glucose, and that's dextrose, or just another name for it. But corn syrup is also just glucose. 
So dextrose is just a sugar that's purely made of glucose. Okay, how do you feel about that in a product? Well, the problem with with dextrose or or any glucose, high glucose sugar is to do with the glycemic response. Mm -hmm. That would put it in the same category as corn syrup. Okay, so go take a walk. (laughs) Go take a walk. (laughs) Or one of my favorites, organic brown rice syrup. Yes. Which... um, would be kind of in many situations seen as a healthy sugar, but it's because it's organic and it's brown. It's brown rice. Everybody thinks brown rice is, you know, the best. But it's just syrup right. made from organic brown rice instead of yellow corn. Yep, super high glycemic. So so super high glycemic. So anything with super high glycemic, you have to make sure that you're getting fiber in. Yep. You're getting protein in. So, you know, veggies, fiber supplements. Meat, fish, and on top of it, as you mentioned, going for a walk. Yes, like using that food quickly, basically, for energy. And, you know, you or I probably know when we're high, when our glucoses are high, when they're low, right? You and I can recognize that. Mm -hmm. Your kids might not, but you, as a parent, if your kids are bouncing off the wall, they're probably just had something that's very high in a glucose syrupy sugar. Right. So great idea to take them out to the park at the playground quickly at that point. Yeah. And if they're rolling around in the floor, they're probably hypoglycemic. And what happens in kids is you can go very quickly from high blood glucose crashing to low blood glucose. And parents will have seen that happening mm-hmm. in their kids. And that's because kids are very efficient at getting that blood sugar out of the blood to use it for energy. Mm-hmm. And it happens so efficiently that their blood sugar falls. So if you're not careful, your kids will just kind of cycle all day long Mm -hmm. on what we call the sugar roller coaster of sugar highs and sugar lows. And that's why maintaining that blood sugar level is ultra important. Right. Not just for adults, but for kids too. Absolutely. Yep. I always tell my clients, adults or kids, when you're on the high, low, high, low, that's when you're, you know, really hyper and then you get really tired. That's your body's cue that you need more food. You're getting those cravings. People feel like they need to snack all day. They're getting multiple coffees a day. Whereas when it's more level, you're staying fuller longer and you're giving your body the right nutrition and foods that it needs. And you actually are eating less overall because you're just not as hungry. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's changing pretty rapidly, you know, just kind of the order in which you eat food, making sure there's fiber on top of it. Mm-hmm. Like you said, activity too can all make a difference on better flattening of those blood sugar levels. Mm-hmm. So tell me this, when we're reading the labels and something says it contains less than 1% of sugar, right? Or no significant amount, but it's still listed on the label. Is that better for you necessarily? Well, if something said that in the label, I would be suspicious that there's some other type of sweetener in there that's not sugar, like um, sucralose, aspartame, stevia, monk fruit, because that's typically would be in stuff highly advertised as no added sugar, because technically those aren't sugars, they're alternative sugars. Uh-huh. Less than 1%, you know, it's probably okay. I'd be looking out for the added sugars, and we do have the capacity now to look at added sugars on a food label, that's relatively new in the last year or two. Mm-hmm. And if it's a food item that has a gram or two of added sugars, 
an ingredient list looks pretty clean, I, I'd, I'd be okay with that. Yeah. So check further. Okay. That brings me to, I know we mentioned about stevia. I talk about it all the time. However, as far as monk fruit goes, how do you feel about monk fruit? And is all monk fruit created equal? Well, so the first question is, I put it in the same category as stevia. And I, I know we're learning, again, we're learning a lot about these different sweeteners. Monk fruit itself is, is probably one of the least studied mm-hmm. sweeteners that we have. There's newer sweeteners like allulose is rapidly coming on the market too, and there's even less known about that. But even though on the one hand, these sweeteners are all different because they all kind of act a little differently in the body, mm-hmm. there is some elements of them that are very similar. And the similar elements, regardless of whether it's synthetic like aspartame or natural like monk fruit or stevia, these are still compounds. We're, again, we're not eating monk fruit. Monk fruit tastes terrible. Right. We're eating the active ingredient that's sweet. And regardless of where it came from, these sweeteners are all actively triggering the sweet taste receptor in the mouth. And now we know there's sweet taste receptors all around the body. And when you activate those sweet taste receptors, whether it's from sucralose or monk fruit, it's the same receptor being turned on. And once that receptor is turned on, it's the same cascade, the downstream cascade doesn't know that it got switched on by monk fruit or sucralose or aspartame. And that cascade basically is telling you that something sweet was consumed and telling you that calories are coming in Mm -hmm. to the body, which they're not. So it's kind of tricking the body. And when your body thinks that there's calories coming in, it takes, it draws it out of the blood and then you go hypoglycemic. So a lot of people are focused on saying, well, with monk fruit, there's no sugar spike. Right. It's the zero glycemic index, which is why it's attractive to people. So it's attractive. But the question is, does it cause a, a crash? Does it cause a dip right. in your blood sugar, which it very well might do? And some reports show that it does. And then it's about, well, what happens during the rest of the day? So you had your, your cookie or whatever with your monk fruit mm-hmm. and you consumed less sugar. But what happened an hour later or two hours later or throughout the rest of the day? And studies show that you can end up eating more calories and more sugar throughout the rest of the day if you're habitually consuming a sweetener. Got it. And then the other thing I'll say is it just doesn't taste good. So. <laughs> Isn't the idea of eating food to enjoy it? Yes. So that brings me to what's your guilty pleasure of what dessert you like? Are you a dessert guy? I'm a dessert guy, but none of it's too sweet. So here, here's the desserts. I, li- I like pie. Okay. I like any kind of pie, any kind of cake. I like cookies. Is this homemade pie and cake? Homemade. Yeah. I mean, I can tell that. Oh, yeah. I've never actually done this. It'd be interesting to do a, a, a blinded test. I can pretty rapidly tell the difference. Yeah. You know what? I have this idea. Have you ever seen um, my kids watch this show? And I want to say it's YouTube or Netflix. It's called Is It Cake? Have you heard of that? No. Oh my gosh. So funny. So they bring basically like pastry chefs on and they will create cakes that look like a football or one will look like, you know, a money safe and another will look Mm. like a character. And they have eight hours to make this cake. And then they have a panel of judges and they show them like five footballs and they have to guess which one is cake. And it's just a visual to see if the pastry chef Mm. made it look real or not or made it look like cake. Yeah. But I said, you know what? I think I need 
need to start a portion of my YouTube where it's called, is it clean or not? And it's literally me tasting, you know, Mm. a cake made from the grocery store in a clean cake and me be able to tell the difference because once you go clean, the flavors are there and it just tastes so much better as opposed to that artificial sweetener. So I have a theory on that. And my theory is that um, because sugar is such a powerful activator of of receptors in the mouth Mm -hmm. it dominates and it overwhelms all the other things so all if you taste a piece of cake or a piece of pie or a cookie that's being made commercially it's usually much higher in sugar and you just can't taste the other things that are in there right because sugar dominates Uh if you titrate the sugar down and when i cook i usually when i bake i usually tell people you can easily cut the sugar in the recipe by a third or even a half. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, it doesn't affect the consistency or anything. It's still sweet, but it lets the other flavors shine through. Mm-hmm. So our sugar-proof blueberry muffin is a muffin that tastes of blueberries because there's no added sugar in it. I love that. So when you make your cake and your pie, what's your sweetener of choice? Yeah, so in, in the pantry downstairs, we do have... We have honey, we have raw honey, which we'll use not in baking, but in like smoothies and stuff because I can control it. I can put a little teaspoon in a smoothie if I want a little bit of sweetness. Mm -hmm. I also have maple syrup, which I'll use for that sometimes. But I do have regular sugar. I usually use uh, sugar in the raw, which is a bit less processed. I do have coconut sugar, which I know it's more expensive, but I usually mix them. So if I need a cup of sugar... I'll maybe take that to three quarters of a cup and I'll use them or maybe use, depending on the recipe, I can mix it up with some coconut sugar and some sugar in the raw. That's kind of my go-to. Okay. And tell everybody listening, what's so attractive about coconut sugar these days? Why is it, why are we deciding we would rather use coconut sugar over the white refined sugars? Yeah, I just, I wish it wasn't as expensive. I wish we could drive the price down, but there's a couple of things. So one thing is sustainability is actually coconuts are a much more sustainable crop than uh, sugar cane. So that's one thing. Second thing is that the, the coconut sugars have a little bit of fiber in there that are retained in, in, in the sugar. So you do get a little bit of fiber and it's less processed and taste. So you get a bit more of a kind of a broader taste profile because of the coconut in there. And it works well. What's your take on it? Did I miss anything? No, it's perfect. I always tell them as well, for any recipes, you can swap out coconut sugar for a recipe that calls for sugar. Or if somebody wants to sweeten their red sauce making spaghetti, you want a sweetener, I always say use coconut sugar right there. Yeah. Yeah, perfect. So do you think any kids' brands do a good job of balancing sugar and fiber? Most don't. Most don't. I agree. I agree. No, if you look, (laughs) I always tell people, if you look, and I think I read this part, something around uh, like something in these lines of your book talked about, if you look at the grocery shelves, they're clearly winning, right? And you're losing sight of what's important. People are confused, but the amount of choices that are in the grocery and the amount of hitting sugars, which by the way, how many names are there for sweeteners out there? 260 something. Yeah, which is wild. So people are reading, if they are reading the ingredient list, odds are you're reading some type of sweetener or sugar that was made in a lab and you don't even realize that it's sugar or a sweetener. It doesn't have to have the word sugar on it. It could be, I mean, like I said, 
organic brown rice syrup or some of the newer ones or some of the the fruit-based sugars, like beet sugar, mango nectar, fruit juice concentrate. You know, fruit juice concentrate is just, it's just the, if if you take fruit and you juice it and you boil it down, you'll crystallize the sugar out of it, which is exactly what you do with sugar cane. You, You juice the sugar cane and you boil down the juice until it crystallizes. Yeah. Are they trying to figure out different sources, you think, for profitability? Or is it to trick the consumer? Like, why why do we have so many different types of sweeteners? Well, I think they're trying to bamboozle us. Okay. You know, I think consumers won the war over high fructose corn syrup, right? We won that battle. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you a lot of stories about that. Mm-hmm. I think consumers are onto that. And food companies know that we're onto it. So now they're trying to use other strategies. And, you know, some of these fruit-based sugars like mango nectar or fruit juice concentrate, more fructose than high fructose corn syrup, people. But it's a fruit-based sugar. So it, it has, you know, it sounds a lot better. It's a much easier war for them to win yeah. than for us to win. Yeah. I tell everybody that we've all become label victims and it was by design of these food industries and these marketers. And hey, look, our food is more toxic than it's ever been. America's the sickest it's ever been. We're the heaviest it's ever been. Chronic diseases. We didn't even talk about that 15 years ago. And so it's there's merit to, hey, wake up, read your labels, look at what you're actually consuming. And I don't think that the food industry is out to help us anytime soon, unfortunately. Some companies are. I mean, there's some great new companies out there, new products hitting the market. Absolutely. And unfortunately, though, these are small brands that no one knows about. So I say when you go to the grocery, they're not at eye level. They're not going to be in every single store. You might have to find them online. They don't have the big bucks to advertise. They're not on the end caps. They don't have brand awareness. But I even say it welcoming people on my podcast. Hey, this podcast is covering, you know, ethical brands who do care about the ingredients and do want to help people and change the world. And so, yes, luckily, they're on the horizon and they're out there. And there really is now in 2022, there's a clean swap for everything. And just becoming aware of like, hey, look, what sugars are bringing you down, Mm -hmm. how sugar isn't everything, it's hidden in everything. And there is a way out. And so definitely grabbing a copy of Dr. Goran's Sugar Proof book can help you guys listening. I have one more question for you. What was your wake up moment in life? Whether it's personally or professionally, what was it? Wow, didn't see that one coming. <laughs> That's what I like to ask at the end of everyone. I think a big wake up moment on this journey was the study I talked about earlier, actually, where we wanted to find out what was in Coca Cola, apple juice, juice drinks that kids are commonly consuming. We had a very simple question because we, we were doing the studies and we wanted to look at the what nutritionally kids were consuming. So we, we, we wanted to know nutritionally what, we, what was in these beverages. So we did a study, went off, went shopping. It's, it's like the easiest study I've done. We just went to the grocery store. We went to the gas station and the cinema to get beverages from the, from the machines. And we sent them off to be analyzed. And when we found the results came back, we found a lot more fructose in these beverages than food companies were letting it, letting us believe uh, was there. 
that was important because at the time we were also doing research and other people were doing research that was showing that if fructose really is a very damaging sugar. And also at that time was when the corn syrup people were suing the sugar people for false advertising. There was this big war over is sugar the same as high fructose corn syrup. So this all kind of was happening all around the same time. The the huge law case was going on in the background. We had done this study showing more fructose. We were doing the research showing the fructose was damaging. So that was kind of the story kind of coming together that kind of started me off on this journey. I love that. That's amazing. Well, I can tell you, thank you. I'm sure you're helping so many parents out there and kids have a, you know, have alternatives to their favorite snacks and show them ways they can, you know, still make blueberry muffins and cookies and all the things just with a little bit of awareness and a little bit of tweaks. So I appreciate you coming on today, Dr. Gorin. It was so nice to meet you. Everybody, make sure you go follow Sugarproof on Instagram. And also we'll be linking his book below. It is eye-opening, it is informative, and you should go ahead and grab a copy. Thanks, Dr. Gorin. I appreciate you. Thanks so much, Jen. Thanks for all you're doing as well to, to get the healthy messages out there. We, we need more of this. Thank you. Of course. Know that we'll talk soon and we're all in it together. Okay. Sounds good. All right. See you soon. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wake Up and Read the Labels. If you like this episode, guess what? We want you to share it. We'd love that. Share it with a friend and leave us a review. You can subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or really wherever you're listening to your podcast. For more information, visit us at wakeupandreadthelabels.com. Hold up. 